0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the game changers, I promise you are in the right place. Today's buzz, listen up carefully, only digital natives need apply. Ooh, that sounds very, very interesting, so let's get started. Two worlds collide, sounds like the intro to a movie, maybe sci-fi, I don't know. By 2020... About 75% of the entire world's workforce will be millennials. Oh, you know, they were born between 1982 and 2004. They're the young ones. And the other part of this two worlds collide equation is employers are seeking future workforce skills in the fields of, let me list them, analytics, cloud, mobile, and social media. This is according to a September 2014 study by Oxford Economics. Here's the good news. Millennials, are digital economy natives, have the skills that employers are looking for. So the question on the table for our audience, we know our listeners are all over the world. You're in all kinds of businesses. You're in all kinds of industries. How can your organization prepare to meet the demands of the digital natives, who may be looking for something a little different than the rest of your workforce, as well as your really important need to grow your company, your business, your organization through globalization. That's where we think the two worlds collide in perhaps a perfect storm. We have a great panel lined up to help us figure this all out and give you some great insights into what's happening around the world with Millennials and Digital Natives. So first up on the panel, a returning guest, pleased to welcome back Ben Dollar, a principal in the human capital practice of Deloitte Consulting, LLP. And Ben has sent me an interesting quote from Vint Cerf, C-E-R-F. If you aren't familiar with him, it's Vinton Gray, Vint Cerf. He's an American internet pioneer. And believe it or not, he is recognized as one of the fathers of the Internet, yes, sharing this title with American engineer Bob Kahn and Donald Davies. And he has won all kinds of awards. Al Gore, move over. Vince Cerf is the real deal here. Here's the quote. Information sharing is power. If you don't share your ideas, smart people can't do anything about them, and you'll remain anonymous and powerless. Wow. Talk about powerful words. Ben Dollar, welcome back. How are you, Ben?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you, Bonnie. Good to be back.
1: Delighted to have you. Talk to me. Fascinating quote from Vince Cerf. How did you find the quote, and why don't you relate?
2: So, Bonnie, first of all, you beat me to the uh, Al Gore joke, so I, I was going to go <laughs> straight there. <laughs> But uh
1: <laughs> you just can't trust me with that by Ben you just can't trust me. No, exactly, I always do I, my lookups. Yeah, we it's always on the tip of our tongues when we get to who owns what online. Okay, so go ahead with the rest of it. Go ahead, Ben.
2: Yeah, I I've, I've always been really interested in Vint Cerf as a, a true pioneer, someone who is critical in uh, developing the TCP/IP protocol that powers the internet. And he, he also often has great quotes. So when I was thinking about uh, a, a inspirational quote for the show, I, I looked for Vint Cerf and um, found a few quotes. But what I think is really powerful about this one in the, in the world of digital natives and the digital economy is that what I believe really characterizes this new economy is volume of information, rapid sharing of information, availability of information, and a new kind of expectation of how much information is available and how we make decisions based on it. So I think there's, there's a whole theme of breaking down barriers, sharing and using information that is, is brand new, and I thought that quote really epitomized that.
0: It
1: really does. And I'm very intrigued with the idea that if you don't share your ideas, smart people can't do anything about them. It's like there's this cadre Mm -hmm. of smart people just waiting for your ideas, which we presume Mm -hmm. are good and valuable and interesting and innovative, and something the smart people are just waiting to, to absorb. But the most important part of the quote to me, Ben, is you'll stay anonymous and powerless, meaning it's great to be in your own little corner of the world or in the back and thinking, wow, do I have a great idea? But do you think the implication is that there's a responsibility to share your ideas today, Ben?
2: I, I think there is, and I think that the culture that this digital economy is driving is almost making information sharing second nature. I, I, I think we are much less focused on proprietary information and concealing ideas and keeping this to ourselves as we are realizing as a business culture that the more inputs, the more responses, the more reactions we are able to get to information, the better that information becomes to everyone. So I believe yes.
1: Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Fun to talk to you, and you have. I know you have a lot more to share with us during the roundtable part of the show. Let's turn now to a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. She is Ann Dacy D A C Y. She's a partner with IBM in the Success Factors Center of Excellence, leading go-to-market activities for IBM's distribution sector. And a shout out to Latha and our other friends at IBM, and Anna sent me a quote from Vince Lombardi. Oh, those of you who don't know, for goodness sake, look him up. American football player, coach, executive, best known as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s, where he led the team to three straight and five national, total National Football League championships in seven years, in addition to winning the first two Super Bowls following the 66 and 67 NFL seasons. But I go on and on and on. I think there's a rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike called the Vince Lombardi Rest Stop, if I'm not mistaken. Here's the quote. Individual commitment to a group effort it's a team work, a company work, a society work, a civilization work. He sure packs a punch, doesn't he, Ann Dacey? How are you today?
3: I'm wonderful, thank you. And yes, he does and did and is still admired um, all these years later. I think that I chose that one because it really um, characterizes what we try to achieve even in this digital economy, one that is um is surrounded by cloud and borderless workers and it makes it very important that you achieve engagement in the right way so that you can um, aim towards a common goal and understand where your picture is in terms of uh, where you fit and where the greater picture is.
1: And thank you. Do you think millennials get this? Do you think they see the bigger picture, team, company, society, civilization? Are they thinking on a more localized me, me, me view? Pardon me, but just wondering your POV. What do you see?
3: I don't think necessarily that it's fair to characterize millennials as having a me, me, me point of view. I think that um, the more that we look at the millennial phenomena, the, the biggest differentiator that they have is that they are the ones that are truly raised digitally. Um, outside of that, I think that Gen Xers as well as baby boomers, in addition to the millennials, are interested in finding out what the big picture is. And I would challenge that companies need to do a better job of painting that picture so that everybody understands what the goal is.
1: Thank you very much. And keeping your eye on the goal is what it's all about in sports as well as in business today, right, Ann? Right. There you go. Thank you. Great quote from Lombardi. There is a rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. Does anybody else know about it besides me? It's no, does nobody take the New Jersey Turnpike? Ben, so ever been there? Anne,
4: uh, <laughs> Never. Never been. No. I didn't They've know about
2: the rest stop, but I will say now that I know that you can have a, a rest stop named after you, I, I have a new benchmark for success. So <laughs> I, someday <laughs> I'll know I've arrived if I have a rest stop named after me.
1: Well, Ben, we have to think about making a, a society and a civilization work. That would be great, a Ben Dollar rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. What can I say? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on before we have too much fun here. Let me welcome our third panelist. She is a returning guest. I think she was on one of our shows about a year ago. It's Daisy Hernandez. Hello. She's the vice president. Hi, Daisy, vice president of product management for SAP Jam, which is SAP's social collaboration cloud product. And Daisy sent me a quote that most most people think is from Sir Winston Churchill, but indulge me here, Daisy. It actually seems to be, you know, I love to do my attribution lookups. It's a Mm -hmm. paraphrase of a quote from George Santayana from Mm -hmm. his 1905, The Life of Reason. The original quote from Santayana is, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are condemned to repeat them. The one that Churchill supposedly said is, those who fail to learn Mm -hmm. from history are doomed to repeat it. Just mincing words. Daisy Hernandez, how are you?
4: I'm Good, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks
1: for um, joining me. So, tell not me surprised about the
4: quote. About, oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. someone not somewhat not surprised about so many derivatives of the quote because it is a great saying um, mm-hmm. and it's definitely historical. Um, I chose it because in in thinking and reflecting about the the topic today, and you know Ben had even talked about information sharing. It goes back to in order for you to understand and progress on on or even how to progress on what you were doing, you have to understand the lessons learned, you know, what worked, what didn't work, um, and without doing so, you pretty much either start all over again or you're unable to prioritize what's next. And it, it lends itself back to the idea of how do you capture all of that wealth of knowledge and experience from your current workforce to make sure that it is there for the new, new and up-and-coming workforce and um and in order to do that you need to figure out a sustainable way and and process to uh to not only capture it but to distribute it and to harness it
1: thank you daisy very interesting um Yeah, I like what you said about the fact that the quote is so good that it's not surprising there are versions. And when Daisy and Anne and Ben get so famous that you're all quoted, we will forgive people who who paraphrase. Is that okay with the three of you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Works for me. Okay, Ben, especially if we have a rest stop named after you. Speaking of rest stop, I'm going to circle back to Ben Dollar. You know this part of the show is our just a little tiny bit of personal storytelling. Ben Dollar, I'm going to ask you where you are, what time of day it is, what are you drinking right now, what's in your cup, or what are you thinking about drinking at some time in the future? Tell me.
2: So I am currently in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, It is 9.12 in the morning, and I am drinking a coffee, which I realize itself is kind of a boring beverage. However, this coffee is from what I believe is the greatest coffee shop on the planet, located here in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, It's called Thirty Thirty, and they they serve um, these beautiful organic coffees, which they honestly treat as though they're serving you fine wines. So um, this is just a a wonderful cup of coffee that goes far beyond the usual coffee that I drink at home.
1: Wow. Is there a name to this coffee? Is there a flavor? Is there a size? Is it hot? It's summer. Is it hot or is it cold? Just tell us a little more about what is the coffee.
2: Uh, The coffee is hot. It is an African coffee. I can't remember exactly what the name of the blend was, but uh, it has a really nice kind of tart and, and slightly sweet flavor. It's a medium. I uh, already had another coffee this morning, so don't want to overdo it on the caffeine and, uh, you know, go nuts on your show. So go with a medium.
1: <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Glad you're drinking something fantastic. Appreciate that. And, Daisy, where are you? What's the time of day? What are you drinking or what are you thinking about drinking after the show?
3: I am in beautiful Bernie, Texas, in the Texas Hill Country, and I'm um, working out of my home office today, and it's 9.13 a.m., and this morning, because I am, um, in particular, nursing a bit of a summer cold, I have an extra-large cup of Teavana Darjeeling de Triomphe, which is a lovely, light uh, English uh, black tea, and it has a little bit of lemon in it. And it is soothing my throat, and it's also in my Mickey Mouse cup. That reminds me to take everything with a grain of salt. It's all Mickey Mouse. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> now there's a life philosophy statement and daisy thank you i love it perfect it is and and Anne, do you think people who wear mickey mouse watches i think apple needs to make one with with a just it starts out with i know they have a mickey mouse face on their watch but not sure if that's the starting mm-hmm. screen uh do you think mickey mouse would be mm-hmm. honored to know that he's helping people take life a little bit less seriously what do you think
3: I surely hope so, seeing as my kitchen is decorated in tasteful Mickey.
1: (laughs) I knew I liked you. I knew I liked you. Thank you, Ann, for sharing a lot of personal information. Daisy Hernandez, how can I ask you to top those two stories? But you can certainly give it a try.
4: I'm not sure, but um, (laughs) I am in Palo Alto, California. It is now seven fifteen in the morning. Um, I did, I I did get my usual um, cappuccino from the from the machine. But what you could probably tell from my personality is I like to tweak everything. So while it's, while it's um, emptying into a cup, I add some hot cocoa in it to make my own version of a, of a mocha. Um, so that's what I'm drinking now. However, what I would love to be drinking is um, there's a place in Carmel, California called Carmel Bell. And I went in one, one weekend, ordered a latte thinking it's just a plain latte, But they make it hand-whipped cream that's super cold. (sighs) Then when they pour it on top of the hot espresso, it just melts like almost like ice cream, and it's decadent, and it just makes you feel very special and warm. And from my perspective, that's the epitome of what it means to even the smallest moments can be the special moments.
1: Oh, how beautiful! I think we just wrote the uh, wrote some liner notes for a record album, or for the side of a cup from a new coffee shop. We're gonna have to go into business together, the three of us, and it'll be Mickey's Coffee. How does that sound?
3: Sounds yeah,
1: works for me. Don't Mickey Ma- don't hey, Mickey just Mouse add some around with like Oh, sprinkles. It gets even better. Guess what? We have a great panel and we have a very serious topic. We're talking about the future of work in the digital economy. Specifically, I'm going to repeat the statistic that I used to open the show because I think it bears repeating for our audience. Our audience is global and here's what what we are talking about. By 2020, and it's not that far away, 75% of the world's workforce will be millennials. That's... Employers are seeking in future workforce skills what the millennials have. These digital natives have skills in analytics, cloud, mobile, and social. We certainly know that. So we're going to talk about what your organization needs to do to meet the demands of these digital natives in the up-and-coming workforce. Well, they're already here, and your need to grow through globalization, the perfect storm. We'll find out more. Our panelists today are Ben Dollar at Deloitte, and hello to whoever is on the handle, Deloitte SAP. who is Tweet so loyally. We're tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio, by the way. And Daisy at IBM. Shout out to our friends at IBM and Daisy Hernandez at SAP Jam. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after after we take a break. We're going to go away for about 90 seconds, and when we come back, Ben Dollar is going to help me kick off our roundtable segment. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Bread out.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We are witnessing a monumental shift in the way work and business are done. Leaders are looking to radically simplify their organizations while simultaneously engaging and empowering employees to achieve more. These leaders are also seeking to leverage exciting innovations born from interactions between people, businesses, and things in our newly responsive and intelligent, hyper-connected, networked global economy. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how leaders and their teams can help shape the future of change. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers.
1: Here we are. Welcome back. Our topic today is the future of work in the digital economy. My special panelists today are Ben Dollar at Deloitte and Daisy at IBM and Daisy Hernandez at SAP. We're going to kick off our roundtable now with some notes that Ben Dollar sent me before the show. And let's see how provocative and we can get and how much information we can share. Ben, you say we are now at the beginning of a major movement to apply design thinking, to simplify and rationalize the workplace of the 21st century. Sounds like a loaded statement to me. Ben, why don't you explain, expand, and let's get started.
2: Sure. So I remember when I first started working, I went into the office, and uh, it was a massive maze of cubes, all of which looked alike. And clearly, someone had figured out how to just pack the most people into a space to produce the most work in the shortest time possible so there was no real thought to how people actually work different working styles how best to connect how best to generate ideas what we're seeing now in, in our own offices at my clients everywhere you look it seems that there's much more focus now on designing spaces and designing networks based on how work is is really done rather than just jamming people into spaces so engineers salespeople accountants may all work differently but we're developing spaces to accommodate the ways they all work. So you'll see more offices now having combinations of different types of spaces. So you may have offices, cubes, meeting areas, formal space, informal space, hoteling spaces, social areas, you know, pool tables, any number of things that really are designed to accommodate different working styles, generate creativity, create those sort of social networks in real time in the workplace. This is all supported by technology. So more and more we have online collaboration forums, mechanisms for real-time feedback, platforms that make it easy to share ideas back and forth. What this means to me is that business is really catching up with the idea that the exchange of ideas and and ways of making people work in a way that makes them more creative is uh, a critical success factor. And I think to tie this back to the millennial point you made earlier, this is how millennials work. They are simply not used to sitting there in a cube for eight or nine hours. They are dynamic. They're moving. They go from topic to topic. They love to share information. So it's a physical change and a change in the way information is is exchanged.
1: Thank you, Ben. Good insights. I just want to bring up one point. We've heard over and over again that today the workforce has five generations working side by side, and this certainly sounds like it's shaking up the old status quo. Of course, I remember the Cube days, and I remember the days of having an office that had partitions that were, well, I'm five foot one, so the partitions were about six feet high maybe, and everybody could still hear everything over the top of the partition. So you had some visual privacy, but certainly audio not exactly. Uh, just, Ben, a quick comment from you before I invite Ann and Daisy in on this. Thoughts on, on future of work, millennials, but what happens to the older generations who aren't used to all of this moving around? What happens to them?
2: I actually think the older generations really like it. I think when we talk about millennials, sometimes I think we, we talk about them as though they are just fundamentally different from everyone else, and I don't think that's entirely the case. You know, my... Um, 72-year-old mother will not be without her iPad even for a minute. So I think that for for many people, I I would classify myself as a Gen Xer. It's a welcome change and I I think it's fun and exciting. So I don't think anything bad happens to the non-millennials.
1: I'm glad nothing bad happens to
3: them. I feel better now. And Daisy,
1: talk to me. Thoughts on what Ben just introduced?
3: I agree that there's been quite a revolution in terms of how office space is managed, I think there's a couple of dynamics. One has to do with uh, the ability to support collaboration across matrix teams so that uh, you achieve a a project-based or program-based result. The other one is the pressure on the enterprise to reduce the bottom line. So we've seen a big move towards uh, home officing, and we certainly see that in my company. We, where the vast majority, at least, of the consulting force is primarily based out of a home office. So what you really need to ensure is that the social collaboration aspects and tools are in place to allow for creativity and thinking to flourish in those types of environments. But certainly um, when you talk about differing types of environments like casual workplaces, play places, even napping uh, stations. um, That's something that you see more and more with very progressive companies.
1: Ben, why don't you make some comments on what Ann just shared with us?
2: I'm really interested in the point around matrix teams and networks because I think it points to a trend that we're seeing, which is business networks versus just large sort of business hubs with little spokes coming off. So what I mean by that is, a, a business now is a larger connected enterprise of customers, suppliers, remote workers, a whole different type of workforce where you've got a mixture of temps and freelancers and contractors all tied together, whereas in the, the old world, you had you know a couple office buildings with a, a dedicated group of workers who were aligned against functional teams. And, and as Ann says, exactly the point of... Teams working together, teams working across functions, but I think we're actually now getting to a really exciting place which is beyond across functions and actually across products, across suppliers, across companies. Uh, it's just getting bigger and bigger. Uh,
4: no I thought I had two comments actually. So one on the physical locations. Um, completely agree. I think that um, What's happening is more of an evolution and and uh, I was also early in my career also got stuck in the um very tall cube spaces mm-hmm. and um and and I don't see i th- I see everything as an adjustment some people won't like it because it's it's less about you know are the what generation you're in, but just more of are you used to having um a a space where you can think um for a period of time um because I see that even with millennial and Gen Xers where they prefer. You know, some of my colleagues just prefer to have a quiet space. Um, But in terms of physical locations, I think that just overall, um, with the change of the layouts, people will overall adjust. But speaking of physical locations, um, to Anne's point, there's also virtual. And I I also agree that with the technologies that we have today um, and information sharing and so forth, um, and and the fact that we are globalized and mobile, it's actually becoming a little, depending on industry, it's becoming even less about the physical location anyway. Um, there, are a lot of, um, there are a lot of industries where 100% of the workforce is completely virtual. And so it's going to be a combination of using the technologies as well as differences in physical layout, depending on the department and the industry, that will really help uh, support uh, the workforce needs in the way that they need to interact and collaborate.
1: Thank you, Daisy. I'm going to pose a question to the panel. Uh, Daisy brought up something interesting about the everybody or so many, so many of the workforce working virtually. Mm-hmm. Is this something that millennials like? Do they need the physical, visual contact, the, hey, let me shake your hand or pat you on the back or let me come over and sit next to you or let's go have a coffee together versus never seeing their colleagues in person? Uh, for, let's just go down the line. Ben, thoughts on this?
2: My experience with millennials is that they they like variety. They like to come into the office and shake hands and see people, but they also make very meaningful connections from social media or or virtual connections. So the home office, I think, is something that really plays well to millennials, but I I, I don't want to paint the picture that they are uh, in some way antisocial. I think they're very social, and they they like to communicate with people in a variety of different ways.
3: Okay. And Thoughts? I agree that they want to communicate with people in a variety of different ways. I think that uh, we don't want to just make a blanket statement that says millennials don't need or want the face-to-face contact, nor do we want to say the opposite, which Mm -hmm. is that they they need a lot of constant contact. I think that millennials and Gen Xers and baby boomers are the same in terms of some of this face-to-face contact really goes a long way. I can say from know my experience i've worked with people virtually for years and Mm -hmm. it means a lot when i have the finally the opportunity Mm -hmm. to get to meet them to really put the face and the personality to the name and it makes for a much more productive relationship going forward and i think that that's probably a shared experience yep
1: thank you daisy thoughts
4: yeah it it really depends on where people are are in their careers as well. I mean, I remember when I was first entering in my career, I just wanted to make sure that I met with as many people as possible physically because you want to make that face-to-face, humanized connection. I think over time, as um, personal lives change or career lives change, um, you know, flexibility is something that um, people uh, people uh, are, are very open to, uh, given the fact that uh, we none of us <laughs> really work the nine-to-five job. Um, but so far, with the candidates that I've been interviewing, um, that are that would be t- technically in the millennial generation, um, mm-hmm. they actually ask a lot about what's my opportunity to make sure that I can meet the people I'm working with. It's very, very imp- at least from from my perspective. Um, they have expressed how important it is, even if they have to travel to go see the development team that they're working with. Um, i are definitely flexible in, in using other means to, to make connections, um, like video conferencing um, and so forth. But I do know that there is an interest, especially when you're just starting out, to at least physically meet the people that you're going to work with. I do see that. Thank
1: you. Yeah, that that is a challenge. I think it's a challenge for, for all generations. I yeah. probably will never meet my team members, my teammate colleagues at SAP. I know them well. They know me well, all by voice, by email, by communication style, by what we do. It's a team of 20. I think I've met one of them once, and that was it and I doubt if I will ever have the opportunity. We all know travel budgets are restricted today. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whatever happened to Skype in business where you have some visual contact, but it just seems like a lot of trouble. Somebody actually invited me to a conference call yesterday on Google Hangout, and we had so much trouble getting into it, and finally she just called me on the phone. I said, what happened? She said, I never planned to send you a Google Hangout invite. I just put it in my calendar, and Google sent you an invite, and I was never there. So I spent 20 minutes trying to get into the hang out, my camera was on, I was going to see her and looking forward to it, and she said, no, that wasn't my, it was just a little bit confusing. Neither one of us was a millennial, by the way. Okay, let's uh, go on with a different aspect of this topic. I want to talk about social. We talked about the different skills of the digital natives, and we have to also remember, panelists, to talk about the fact that companies need to grow through globalization, and since Mm -hmm. we're talking on a big scale of millennials being part of this workforce population all over the world... Let's make sure to to talk about that. But Anne Dacey, I'm looking at your notes here, and I want to focus on social right this minute. You say tomorrow's leaders prefer a collaborative consensus-building culture. Social capability should be built into the fabric of an organization. So uh, beyond just who you talk to or or how you can see people or whether you go visit your developers, how does social come into play in this, Anne? Why don't you share that with us?
3: It is absolutely essential in terms of being able to leverage this borderless society that we are working with. It's also essential to be able to leverage the fact that we're using a lot more um, casual workforce members because it's um, definitely the way that work of the future is being done. I think more than anything. So um, if you're if you're not doing this. Thoughtfully, if you're not doing this um, with a keen focus, you're going to miss the boat as an organization. It's really about making sure that you're not only providing the tools, but that you're providing the collaboration network of people to help make this um, very real in an organizational culture. It needs to be driven by senior leadership, and it needs to be instituted with passion and then continued to Uh, be fostered to make grow. Mm -hmm.
1: Daisy, I hear you. Talk to me. Thoughts? Uh, No, I
4: I, I definitely agree. I'll take that another step further. It's not just incentivizing people to put the information in these tools because it's the information that's powerful, not the tools themselves. But more importantly, if it's going to be ingrained in order to be part of the culture, it also needs to be ingrained in the processes and interactions that are natural today. So, for example, using it for um, social onboarding, using it for ramp up and training, using the kinds of words that are work-related, but using the same technology to help support that, um, and uh, and making it ingrained as you know this is just the way that we work. Um, and I think if something can help people get their work done and people can see the value of that, that is also in a a form um, uh, an incentive for people to continue to um, connect and use these tools to generate the kind of information that's valuable for everybody. And, you know, there's a lot of focus on the millennials, but as you pointed out, there's anywhere from four to five generations uh, in the workplace. I I instead would like to see uh, more discussion on how we bridge these generations, because I think that, as we all pointed out, it's not just the millennials that are using all of these tools today. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you look at Pew Research, quite a number of adults in various ages are all using social networking tools um, in their personal life. So I don't think it's about having people learn how to use the tools. It's about putting together the tools and rolling them out such that it makes sense in the context of the work that they already do
2: today.
1: Thank you. Well put. Ben Dollar, thoughts?
2: I think innovation drives competitiveness, and as I reflect on some of the thoughts here, being creative, using information, changing directions really quickly, even forming teams quickly are all really critical to innovation. And I think being able to put the networks in place so that people are able to do that, um, whether they're Mm -hmm. texting each other ideas or sharing things through social media or meeting informally, just really enables that rapid exchange of information and and generates ideas, which really get to innovation, which get to competition. So Mm -hmm. I I agree with the point that it's not just about millennials. It's about putting things out there that enable everyone to exchange ideas and uh, think more quickly than they're used to. Mm -hmm.
1: Interesting. Think more quickly. Is that, uh, go back to what we've talked about on many other shows, Ben, uh, fail fast, fail often, let the idea out, do something with it. The cost of development and innovation is so much lower today than it traditionally has been. Fail fast and fail often. Any thoughts on that? Am I on the track or, or not?
2: I think that's an exciting concept, and it's one that many companies now are trying to embrace but, frankly, struggling with. Um, we, none of us likes the idea of failing. So getting comfortable with the idea that a a series of small failures may lead you to a big success Mm -hmm. is is important. And I think, again, being able to go through a lot of ideas very quickly in less structured ways than maybe we're used to, Uh, you know, you don't need to have everyone sit in a conference room and formally list 10 ideas to get to to a good idea. You can exchange information more dynamically, less formally, and and get to that good idea And, and have your failures be throughout that exchange of information. So I think yes, you are onto something. Um, I think it's a direction that companies are headed, but it's tough. It's a growing pain.
1: It is. It is a growing pain, and it's I think it's a cultural growing pain. And Daisy would love to get your thoughts on this topic since you started it. What do you think?
3: I think that it is indeed a growing pain. I think doing it doing it right is a huge huge challenge, but it's something that um, we need to continue to focus on, to Ben's point, Daisy's point, this isn't just the millennials that are using this. This is everybody. And it's really important to make sure that the collaboration concept um, be strategized at a corporate level and that you um, do pilot the new programs, start small, learn from experience, keep expanding, and keep collaborating on perfecting that plan. It's uh, something that, needs to become part and parcel of how you do business. Everything from uh, employee engagement to customer engagement really hinges on being able to execute well on this.
1: Thank you. Daisy, I'm looking at your notes. I think we'll mm-hmm. go in a slightly different direction here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have an interesting point of view. You say there's so much focus on millennials, and Daisy, I, I think we've heard so many times that millennials are tired of the focus on millennials. They don't want to talk <laughs> yeah. about themselves anymore. As a matter of fact, I've, I've told us on many shows. I recently learned that they're calling themselves the Yawn Generation. Y A W N. <laughs> Has anybody heard that one, Daisy or Ann or Ben? No, I, heard have. that? no actually, I haven't. Okay. Here's the deal. I've heard
4: I've, I've heard someone say, well, I don't want to be referred to as the me, me, me generation, but the purpose generation.
1: <laughs> oh, I like that. Well, the yawn generation, they're saying they don't want uh, what we used to call sex, drugs, and rock and roll, meaning booze and bars and the fast life. We want to sit home and knit or crochet. We want to go out and play shuffleboard. I know. Please be still my heart. The <laughs> leaders of this, if you Google yawn generation, you won't believe who's at the forefront. It's Mark Zuckerberg and Taylor Swift. I know. I know. Go look it up. So, let's talk about this. Daisy says there's so much focus on millennials, but they are not the bulk of the population necessarily using social media or collaboration tools today. And Daisy adds, furthermore, they're coming into the workplace with zero experience. They need access to tools to help them get educated faster. Where is the gap here, Daisy? Where is the education gap? They already know social. They already know mobile. They've heard of cloud. They're probably doing a lot of social stuff on their own as teenagers. Mm-hmm. So what specific Kind of education tools do we need to give them so they can come up to speed quicker in the workforce? Sure. So the the great news is that they're coming
4: in. Granted, very little experience. However, very high skill set in leveraging mm. a lot of these, a, a lot of the tools and technology today. Um, but what I see them hungry for. Um, which is very strange for me to say them because I'm actually part of the edge of the millennial. But <laughs> <laughs> what they're interested in, in, in getting is the, the wealth of knowledge um, so that they're not having to, you know, skin their knees unnecessarily if someone's already figured something out. Like, why can't I just improve on that versus me having to spend the long ramp-up time to learn or even discover what I don't know? And what we need to provide is a way that we can harness the experience and knowledge of, and corporate IP of, and the wealth of information of the more experienced um, folks in, in the workforce to help the millennials get up to speed. And that way the millennials can also share their great ideas because they're looking at it you know, with fresh eyes. And that's what I meant by bridging. Um, social collaboration tools can help. Um, certainly, um, mentorship programs can help. The other thing too is, um, if we think about the day, you know, the fact that millennials have grown up in the in, in the digital age, the way that they learn is also very different. You know, think of YouTube, Google, um, all of these tools that we personally use if we want to research something or look something up. They're small bites of information. Um, it's not necessarily sitting in a classroom 100 percent of the time. You know, and 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 somehow they're going to learn it all. And so, this constant, continuous, collaborative learning is something that um, we can see cycle throughout all of the generations, and um, and that's going to continue, you know, well beyond, well beyond now, well beyond 2020, because the basic concept of learning is always going to be required.
1: Good point, Ben Dollar. Thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think millennials like to learn quickly, um, mm-hmm. and and as we were saying, in in sort of bite-sized chunks. I think the interaction between the different elements of the workforce is interesting because with all of the, the tools and technology and, and ability to solve problems, and I think I mentioned design thinking earlier, I think apply design thinking to problems. Millennials are, are almost natural problem solvers where I think there's a tremendous amount of value in interaction between millennials and the older generations of the workforce is that the Gen Xers like me Uh, or or even the people who are are farther along than I am um, know the problems to solve and and they're Mm -hmm. able to help millennials really focus their energy in the right areas. So you get a nice synthesis of we've got a set of problems to solve and then we've got people who have great horsepower and enthusiasm and tools to go solve those problems. I think it's exciting.
1: Yeah. Okay. And, Daisy, thoughts on this?
3: Um, All great comments. I think just all I can do is really underscore that. Um, It's really about making sure that the ability to learn is constant ingrained and built around knowledge nuggets is what I call them and may be deployed in different ways. Mm -hmm. Certainly um, the other clear thing that has to happen is understanding what the goal is. And this is something that we find Mm -hmm. um, not a lot of companies excel at necessarily in terms of making sure that, the organizational objectives are translated into a way that millennials or any other worker, for that matter, can understand how they how they fit in that big picture. So it's making that leap of of clarity that is very important because that leads to engagement. It makes them feel like um, they're engaged and they're working towards that common good. It's back to you know my opening quote about building a team. It's, it's understanding where's that team headed.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Daisy. Thoughts on uh, closing this out, and then I want to move in a slightly different direction. We've, we've got to talk about globalization. And Daisy, I'm actually going to pick up some notes from from what you sent me. But go ahead, Daisy. Any thoughts well, on I, what? Sure, yeah, I, I
4: love what Ann said, and and it and to underscore her underscore, <laughs> which <laughs> is um, common goal, right? If if you don't have goals and ideas of what success look like, looks like when you are um, trying to bridge these generations in, into a learning workforce, um, you're just putting out tools there for people to just share random, random bits. It has to be something that is programmatic. It has to be well thought through, in order for it to have the kind of return on investment um, required for people to want it to to uh, invest in the first place. Um, and that's going to take uh, common goals and teamwork. Back to basics.
1: Thank you. Let's talk about back to basics and the expansion of basics, I'd like to say. Uh, Daisy, I'm looking at your notes. You said the nature of work has changed dramatically because of globalization and business expansion into emerging markets, which was part of my opening point. You say so much of the workforce today is either traveling or juggling their schedules in order to take a 5 a.m. call with a colleague in Europe, uh, assuming we're talking about a U.S. or North America-based person, Mm -hmm. or a 10 p.m. call with something in Asia Pacific. businesses as they become more globally centered need to provide employees with a way to connect with peers customers and partners in real time and asynchronously across multiple time zones this is the rub does anybody ever get to sleep anymore daisy you want to kick this off and then we'll get your co-panelists concepts on this or their their povs
4: sure um actually uh, ben had had alluded to this earlier about virtual teams Mm -hmm. and the importance of being able to to share um, ideas well these ideas aren't limited to just virtual teams. Some of the greatest ideas can come across the globe, um, especially if uh, there are ways to connect with peers in another region and um, and are able to um, to either comment or synchronize or share information, you know, um, at, at different times. Um, We, I've seen, I've seen either customers or even ourselves take full advantage of, you know, not even realizing what's possible, until someone across the globe had shared an idea or a concept that we weren't aware of, and um, it completely opened our 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 minds in terms of what was possible in a particular project, for example, Um, or um, a lot of uh, folks were running into problems with a particular. Project had uh, and and were stuck, and only to find out that someone had some tips and tricks, and they saw how someone someone had posted that they were having issues, and someone else, you know, in China was able to say, you know what, I actually ran into the same issue. Here's how you fix it. Um, Completely unlocks the number of people who can help, Um, and I think that's really the power of having a a globalized.
2: uh, workforce.
1: Ben, thoughts? Thank you, Daisy.
2: Yeah, as as the network of a company becomes larger, more insights become available, there's more information available and more information to manage for sure. I, I think one point that is emerging as a critical one in globalization is that of culture. So as companies become these huge networks that span the whole globe, the ability to retain a, a common culture and shared values so that ultimately customers are having a similar experience becomes increasingly challenging. It reminds me sort of the expansion of, of the Roman Empire, right, where you've got a, a core set of values where you know you're in Rome, but when you get out into the provinces, there are things that are like the Roman Empire. You've got certain shared identity, but in some cases, they've lost the identity. So for companies to be able to have that that Common set of values, common goals, and, and ultimately deliver common experiences to their customers. I think is is the challenge around globalization. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Daisy. I hear you going. Mm hmm. Thoughts you want to add to what Ben and Anne just said?
4: Well, actually, uh, it just reminds me of a uh, of a customer who is um, using social collaboration tools um, in, a, in, in a somewhat unexpected way because people think of it only in, in tech for some strange reason or developing software. Mm-hmm. But um, speaking of um, consistency, brand consistency and how they set up their stores is something that's extremely important to them. And because now they can quickly share a, a video or a snapshot on how you put together either a project or a craft, um, no matter what store you go into across uh, North America, it's all the same. And that power, that brand, also mm-hmm. gives comfort and confidence to their consumers that they know that if they're going to walk into this particular store, that they're going to have the same experience. And that has been a competitive differentiator for them.
1: Anne, Daisy, I didn't get your comments on this. I apologize. I went straight back to Daisy. Thoughts, Ann? I didn't forget you, my dear. I just skipped over you for a second. Talk to me.
3: Quite quite all right, Um, but I'd like to echo what Daisy says. It's important to retain the identity and to pay close attention to the branding, which, again, signals the need to really look at this from a corporate perspective and have uh, senior leadership buy-in. The other thing is that as you tend to get global, especially in a large organization, it's important to really look at how you're segmenting these networking groups, or you will not be able to find a needle in a haystack. It's It, it could be challenging if you don't establish communities of practice, for example, that are devoted to a common like or a common good and uh, have consistent rules around how you search for the information and how you tag it. Thank you.
1: Daisy, I'm going to go back to you one more time. Any wrap-up on this before we move in about a minute and a half to our predictions round? Daisy Hernandez?
4: You know, ha- having, having the right people and tools and the right processes to help enable all that, um, it just helps really support the corporate and global needs, and it meets the demands of serving multiple time zones. Um, and I think that it's it's been a blessing for some of us who have to work with um, teams in other time zones. And, um, and, and, and as everyone has pointed out, all different kinds of examples, even if it's not global in nature, just a way to tie everything together.
1: Interesting. I have a quick question for the panel before I go back to Ben for our predictions round. We're almost ready, Ben. Uh, question is, talking about globalization, millennials, design thinking, thinking outside of the box, borderless society, borderless offices, around-the-clock collaboration, innovation, failing fast, all those good notions we've been talking about. The idea of globalization in the workforce of virtual teams or teams that maybe do see each other on Skype or get together for coffee in, I don't know, in in Waldorf somewhere or in in Palo Alto somewhere and and one travels to see the other, is this idea of opening up these ideas with people who come from different cultures, different backgrounds, is this adding to the richness of innovation because people have different ways of thinking from their cultural backgrounds? Quick answer, uh, Ben, thoughts on that?
2: Absolutely. I think bringing different perspectives from different cultures, mm-hmm. different disciplines, different sets of experiences is, is always going to be better than the you know, old school room full of MBAs who may be very smart, but conditioned to think about things following a, a common paradigm. So I, I think definitely.
1: Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Anne, any thoughts on that?
3: I would echo that. The more diversity that you have from uh, cultures, from walks of life, um, ethnicities, uh, the better you're able to not only define your brand but expand it and have a way to move forward. Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you very much. Daisy, thoughts on this? Yes, and depending on what your role is, having the
4: perspectives that are specific to a region, especially if if you have business goals for a particular region, if you are not part of that region and you're not trying to, Understand experts from that region um, you're you're just basically shooting in the dark, so really using it as a as a as a um, form of knowledge um, as well as understanding can really help support whatever business goals you have.
1: Thank you. We definitely want to turn on the light. And, uh, Ben Dollar, I have a quick note for you. The Vince Lombardi service areas on the New Jersey turnpike between exits 18E and 18W, that's east and west, include services including showers and coin-operated laundry machines for travelers and truckers, and they even have... A Burger King and a Sunoco there, and a Cinnabon. That's all I can tell you. Just had to get that one in, Ben. Now you're primed. I know you're very intrigued. We got to get a nominate, Ben Dollar, for a rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. Ben, I'm ready for your predictions. Uh, I'm going to say, why don't we give you a full 60 seconds? You know, I love the year 2020. Not that far off anymore. We've been talking about it throughout the show. I even opened with a statement about 2020. So, Ben, what do you see that will be different about my opening comment? Only digital natives need apply, and how they're going to be so good for globalization efforts of companies emerging in markets all over the world. Ben Dollar, prediction, 60 seconds, go.
2: I think there are three big things. The first one is that companies will be more and more identified as elements of networks and and viewed based on the strength of the networks that they have access to. So a shift from a really central corporate identity to a more dynamic and, and constantly changing network, which involves suppliers, customers, different relationships with employees, which I think is fundamentally different from what we see today. That's going to drive much more need for flexibility and change. So I think the leaders of tomorrow are going to be less focused on technical competency and I think less focused on the ability to command and control, much more focused on the ability to integrate, solve problems, and really create those sort of dynamic interactions between their own people, the networks that their company is a part of. And then finally, I think we're going to see a greater level and amount of information sharing and transparency than than we've ever seen. So the simple ubiquity of data and ability to share it, I think, is going to change the way that companies exchange information fundamentally.
1: Thank you very much. Well put, as always. And, Daisy, you're up. Predictions, 60 seconds. Tell me your time frame.
3: Please go. I think that as we move forward and companies become more borderless, and I mean borderless, uh, from a type of employee you'll, you'll have more casual employees as well as among countries it becomes very very important to ensure that engagement is occurring so that you're meeting organizational goals and I think that there's going to be a greater reliance on analytical tools to predict and uh, capture the trending and the forward trending that's needed in order to identify areas of expertise that might be required that will allow companies to proactively address these um, these needs in advance of the actual issue becoming um, a problem. In addition, I think companies need to position themselves and are positioning themselves to allow for an environment where employees are able to access knowledge, access learning, access company functions in whatever device they deem fit, whether it's a laptop, a tablet, or a um, iphone or a cell phone so we'll see more and more pervasiveness of that
1: terrific thank you and great comments daisy Hernandez. 60 seconds you're ready go ahead my time is as soon as 2020
4: i mean we're already seeing a lot of mm-hmm. disruption in various industries um given the kinds of advancements in technology um, in the context of the workforce i think the workforce it, itself is going to grow and evolve and change what our notion of what a job is today there may be a different kind of job in five years um, given, again, the advancements of technology. Um, and technology continues to change. So now is the time for companies to prepare themselves because the one thing that will not change even in 2020 is the fact that people need to share information and learn. And so harnessing those kinds of techniques now and to to go along with the evolution um, it's something that I see will will continue. But certainly terminology is going to change. More technology is going to be there to help um, support globalization and people being mobile and analytics and uh, even the way people learn. And uh, so in 2020, I actually think that the way that we learn is even going to change, but the fact that we have to learn isn't.
1: Ah, very, very profound, Daisy. I appreciate that. Thank you to my three panelists for sharing your predictions. Ben Dollar at Deloitte, always a pleasure. And Daisy at IBM, so nice to meet you. And I hope your cough is better. You sounded great, Anne. Daisy Hernandez at SAP Jam, always delighted to have you on the show. I have to do a special shout-out to Becky Weber at SAP and specifically Wilson Zoo, Z-H-U. If you're looking him up, he's on Twitter, at T H E Z H U. HU, the zoo. Uh, Wilson has managed this series for Becky. This is the final episode of our series called Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. It's been a real pleasure working with this team, and I'm hoping they'll come back and renew for another 13-week miniseries starting in January. Wilson, that's for you. You go talk to Becky, and you put that budget away, and I want you back. It's been great speaking with you, great working with you, and your panelists are always extraordinary and great topics as well. Shout out also to Digitalist magazine welcome so happy to have you tweeting at hashtag sap radio and always deloitte sap Uh, all the wonderful people we know at deloitte thank you so much for always tweeting when your panelists are on air with us and a thank you as always to brad and the business channel team at world talk radio i'm bonnie d graham wrapping up the season for transforming your business with game changers as well as the series that share this time slot digital world with game changers that's brad Borkin and phil durbin and i'll be back tomorrow As you know, with Coffee Break with Game Changers, in one hour from now, I'll be back here on the Business Channel with a new episode of Game Changing Women Radio, presented by SAP. So here's my call to action Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. See you in one hour. Bye bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game changing week.